You are listening to Episode 11 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello everyone, this is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. As I mentioned in episode 10, the spiritual practice of the discipline of desire depends upon an understanding of human nature and cosmic nature from the perspective of Stoicism. According to the Stoics, it is our rationality that distinguishes us from animals. Likewise, it is rationality that distinguishes the Stoic cosmos from the accidental universe of the ancient Epicureans and modern reductive materialists. More importantly, according to the Stoics, a portion of the rationality, or logos, that permeates and orders the cosmos resides within each of us as our rational faculty. It is that portion of the logos that we each possess that enables us to understand and live in agreement with nature. Pierre Hedo argues that all of the Stoic doctrines derive from an existential choice to view the cosmos as a rational organism and our human rationality as a product of that organism. He writes, The Stoics thought, quote, It is impossible that the universe could produce human rationality unless the latter were already in some way present within the former. End quote. Here we see the relationship between our human nature and cosmic nature that is so essential to Stoic practice. Still some will ask, why do we need cosmic nature to live ethically? The answer is readily available, of course, in the Stoic texts and the large body of scholarly literature on those texts. Nevertheless, many people interested in Stoicism choose to ignore the doctrine of providence or dismiss it as a non-essential aspect of their ethical practice. They are partly correct. Providence is not essential to ethics. It's not even essential to ancient virtue ethics. The ancient skeptics, Epicureans, Aristotelians, and Cynics all included virtue ethics as a part of their path toward eudaimonia, or well-being, and none of them included the doctrine of providence as an essential part of that path. Therefore, if one's goal is exclusively virtue and well-being, then there are a number of other paths available, and a providential cosmos is not at all necessary. However, if one intends to follow the ancient Stoic path toward virtue and well-being, a providential cosmos is an inseparable part of that path. To argue otherwise requires one to either deny the veracity of the Stoic path as it is expressed in the Stoic text, or to create an entirely new, non-teleological version of Stoicism, a new Stoicism, like the one which was created by Lawrence Becker. I applaud and encourage the creation of a new syncretism of Stoicism with a secular worldview. However, it is important to keep in mind that such a path is a new creation and is not what the ancient Stoics had in mind. The traditional form of Stoicism does include providence. A. A. Long, David Sedley, Brad Inwood, John Cooper, and many other scholars of Stoicism have written at length to explain why providence is an essential part of Stoic theory and practice. However, much to my surprise, Tim Mulgan, a professor of philosophy from the University of Auckland, who has no interest in Stoicism as far as I can see, offers a philosophical argument similar to that of the Stoics to support in normative ethics. In his 2015 book, titled Purpose in the Cosmos, Mulgan argues that without a purposeful cosmos, 
we lack any ground upon which to establish any objective values. His argument is philosophical, so it does not include any religious scripture or beliefs. In fact, like the ancient Stoics, Mulgan argues from a philosophical position that falls between benevolent theism that most religions would be categorized as and atheism. He claims this position is the minimal assumption necessary for us to establish any ethical norms. The Stoics teach us to live in agreement with nature. That is the fundamental ethical principle of Stoicism. However, if the universe is an accident, the result of random collisions and combinations of matter that ultimately created the cosmos, life, and human consciousness by chance, how can nature serve as a foundation for ethics? If the universe is not rationally organized, if it lacks any inherent purpose, what could living in agreement with nature possibly mean? Lothar Schaefer, a physical chemist and professor at the University of Arkansas, was concerned by the disorientation that he saw in society and in particular within his students. His research into quantum science had revealed to him what he calls a, quote, mind-like background, end quote, within the cosmos. Near the end of his book, titled In Search of Divine Reality, Schaefer writes, It is in their common roots, the mind-like background of physical reality, that the close ties between epistemology, ontology, and ethics come to the fore, since the sensation of knowledge is the state of mind that is most familiar to us it can teach valuable lessons regarding conditions, like those of morality, that are less well-defined. The first step in establishing a system of ethics consists of choosing a cardinal value on which everything else can be built. In the light of the data presented in this book, I propose the resolution to live in accordance with the order of the universe is such a fundamental value. End quote. Schaefer was arguing that the mind-like order within the cosmos can serve as a foundation for ethics, and even argued explicitly that living in accordance with that order should be a fundamental value. At the time, I thought, wow, that sounds a lot like Stoicism. However, he never mentioned the Stoics. When Schaefer's second book came out in 2013, I bought it and read it immediately. I was pleasantly surprised to see that Chapter 6, which is titled World Ethos, Living in Harmony with the Order of the Universe, opened with a quote from Zeno, the founder of Stoicism. Schaefer didn't stop there. The entire chapter is based on the Stoic argument for the connection between human nature, the nature of the cosmos, and ethics. He opens with this, quote, The quantum world has indeed some advice for how to live together on this planet in a short formula in a holistic world in which all things and living beings are connected. We should do nothing to impair the other, end quote. Schaefer continues, Laws can and should be derived from cosmic order. Our understanding of the world should guide our life. Cosmic order is a model for human order. No god and no atheist principle can be violated by the suggestion that our moral rules have cosmic roots and that we should live in harmony with the order of reality. A life in agreement with cosmic order is an authentic life. The inauthentic life is not worth living. End quote. Then Schaefer highlights the explicit connection between human and cosmic nature made by the Stoics. At this point, Zeno made an amazing turn to the cosmic. Even though it is our essence, he said, reason isn't the achievement of human beings, but a gift on loan from the universe. Reason is to Zeno a world principle which in human beings rises to the level of reality when it does rise to reality. 
The gifts bring with it an obligation, a task that has to be fulfilled. Reason is like a seed that has been planted in us. You have to see to it that the seed will grow. Since your reason is an essential part of your potential, it is your obligation and the divine will that you strive for the erite, or best possible actualization, of your reason. The divine will in you is, at the same time, your own will. It is that same cosmic principle in you that we have encountered in this book in connection with the quantum phenomena. Your thinking is the thinking of the cosmic spirit in you. Finally, Schaefer argues, step by step, Zeno's arguments can be combined with our own. The virtuous life is a life in harmony with reason, but reason must be understood as a cosmic principle, of which the human reason is a part. The existence of a cosmic reason must mean that the universe is a process that has a meaning. We don't know what that meaning is because it is hidden in the trans-empirical realm of the world. But you must think that you are part of the process and that turning against the cosmic task is the same as turning against your own nature. Thus, living in harmony with nature doesn't mean only your own personal nature, but also the nature of the universe, or, as Zeno writes, the nature of the all-pervading world reason, which is law to all things, end quote. Obviously, agreement that the cosmos is inherently purposeful and should provide a foundation for ethics does not provide us with a canned set of ethical principles to guide our lives. In fact, even those of us who agree that the cosmos has a purpose may still disagree about specific ethical norms. What is the point, then? Well, the fact that we can agree that the cosmos is purposeful and provides objective norms, even though we may not be able to figure them out all the time, we may not be able to decipher them, leaves us in an entirely different place than the alternative. For one thing, it opens the door to an appeal to an authority higher than that of the church, a king, a president, or any other powerful entity or organization. If the universe is purposeless, we lack any logical grounds to argue against the tyrant. In such a world, might makes right, and might can come in the form of physical strength, military might, political power, or financial influence, none of which are automatically beholden to ethical norms. The Stoics understood that fact. That is the reason they argued forcefully and consistently for the conception of a providential cosmos. They understood that a purposeful cosmos provides the necessary foundation for an individual and society to establish ethical norms that promote human well-being. The debate over ethical norms is not new, and it did not begin with the Stoics. The topic is far too big and too complicated to address in any podcast. However, the ancient and poignant myth of Antigone as told by Sophocles, highlights this principle of a higher law that we can appeal to for ethical behavior and justice. Creon, the king, the father of Antigone, ordered that her brother's body not be mourned or buried due to the crimes that he had committed against the city of Thebes. Death by stoning was to be the punishment for violating King Creon's edicts. Antigone, nevertheless, was caught in the act of burying her brother in defiance of her father. When she was dragged before the king, and accused of disobeying his law, she argued that her father's law was unjust and appealed to the God's unwritten and unfailing laws that are above the edict of the king. She proclaimed that those higher laws are eternal, and quote, no one knows their origin in time, end quote. The alternative to this conception of a higher law 
was offered by the famous Greek sophist Protagoras, who declared that man is the measure of all things. Therefore, we find ourselves left with a choice between two alternatives, neither of which is empirically provable to the satisfaction of any skeptic. Either the cosmos is a fortuitous accident with no inherent purpose and meaning, thereby making man the measure of all things, or the cosmos does have a purpose and inherent meaning and entails objective ethical norms that we can and must decipher. That is the starting point, the existential choice for any Stoic, either Providence or Adams. Now let's dive into the spiritual exercise, known as the discipline of desire, which correlates with Stoic physics. As Pierre Hedo points out, consent to destiny and obedience to the gods, the essential components of the discipline of desire, presupposes that man become aware of his place within the all, and consequently, that he practice physics, end quote. It is important to keep in mind that the physics Hado is referring to here is not the clockwork physics of modern science or the mechanistic version of determinism. Living in agreement with mechanistic determinism means surrender or resignation to a power stronger than us simply because we have no other choice. From the perspective of Stoicism, this is only half correct. As A.A. A. Long, respected scholar of Stoicism, points out, Resignation to the deterministic events of a mechanical universe does not get us to the rationality and dignity the Stoics claimed were a part of human potential. Long writes, The deterministic thesis explains why Stoics find it irrational and pointless to wish that things might be otherwise than what they actually experience. But if that were all, Stoicism would be largely an attitude of mere realism, fatalism, or resignation. The crucial step is the combination of determinism with providence. If the situations in which we find ourselves are providentially determined, and if further, we are equipped with minds that can understand this dual aspect of things, then we have reason not only to accept everything that happens as inevitable, but also to regard whatever impinges on our individual selves as the allotment that is right for us and as the requisite opportunity for us to discover and play our human part in the cosmic plan. Hence, committed Stoics will interpret circumstances that are conventionally regarded as misfortune, as challenges to be accepted, and even welcomed, because they give them the means of proving and showing their rationality and dignity as full-fledged human beings. End quote. Yes, ascent to a providential cosmos is part of the discipline of desire. That is why Pierre Hedot dedicated a third of his chapter on the discipline of desire from his book, The Inner Citadel, to an explanation and defense of the doctrine of providence. Hedot opens that section on providence with a quote from Marcus's Meditations. Are you unhappy with the part of the all which has been allotted to you? Then remember the disjunction, either providence or atoms. Meditations 4.3.5 in this passage, Marcus is reminding himself that any dissatisfaction he may have with the things and events in his life is the result of desires for things that were not allotted to him by providence. In his commentary on this passage, Hado rightly points out the problematic characteristic of the discipline of desire, which is its reliance on a cosmos that is providentially ordered. He continues by stating the Stoic practitioner, quote, must accept and even love that part of the all which has been allotted to us, end quote. In Epicus' Discourse on Providence, 
we find a powerful prescription for developing psychological resilience in spite of the vicissitudes of fate. Quote, from everything that happens in the universe, it is easy to praise providence if one has two things, the faculty of taking a comprehensive view of the things that happen to each person and a sense of gratitude. Discourses 1.6.1 When faced with what others might consider tragic circumstances, the Stoic doesn't simply grin and bear it, as the common caricature suggests. Instead, they discipline themselves to lovingly accept and wish for everything that does happen. Why? Because it is the action of a providential cosmos that brought those events about. That's nonsense, some will say. Am I supposed to accept and love the untimely death of a loved one? the loss of my legs, the cancer that is killing me, and all the other, quote, horrific things that are occurring in the world? Yes, that is exactly what Stoicism teaches. That does not mean that we cannot attempt to prevent all of those events. However, once they've happened, we are to love them. Like the dog tied to the cart, you can resist, however you will be dragged, howling all the way. The Stoic dog doesn't just follow the cart. It enjoys the path and savors the view even when it's cold and raining, and the path is muddy and steep and dangerous. Why? Well, what is the alternative? Epictetus tells us exactly what that alternative is in Enchiridion 1. You will have a troubled mind, and you will find fault with gods and human beings. The Stoics have a solution for the trials and tribulations that we face, but it's not one that most people like to hear. The solution is to stop desiring and fearing that which is not up to us. They tell us to control what you can, your thoughts, desires, and intentions to act, and leave the rest to the providential cosmos. Do not stop at bear and forbear. Learn to love what happens. Now here's another meme I'm going to offer you to keep close at hand. Bear and forbear only gets you halfway there. I'll repeat that. Bear and forbear only gets you halfway there. In the following passages, we see the appropriate Stoic attitude toward trying circumstances, as expressed by Seneca, Epictetus, and Marcus Aurelius. First, Seneca. What is most important? Being able to endure adversity with a glad mind, to experience whatever happens as though you wanted it to happen to you, for you ought to have wanted it to, if you had known that everything happens according to God's decree. Natural Questions, the preface to Book 3. From Epictetus. But if I, in fact, knew that illness had been decreed for me at this moment by destiny, I would welcome even that. For the foot, too, if it had understanding, would be eager to get spattered with mud. Discourses 2.6.10. And from Marcus Aurelius. But perhaps you are discontented with what is allotted to you from the whole. Then call to mind the alternative either providence or atoms, and all the proofs that the universe should be regarded as a kind of constitutional state. Meditations 4.3.5 Stoicism does not teach us to suck it up and bear the adverse circumstances which are an inevitable part of life. Instead, through a proper understanding and acceptance of providence, the Stoic learns to love what happens. Why? Because what happens is for the good of the whole. Again, I recognize the barrier to Stoicism providence creates for some. However, the Stoics did not provide a solution for those who, like the Epicureans, denied the providential nature of the cosmos. Instead, they argued vociferously against the Epicureans and for the providential nature of our cosmos. 
As Campe Algra, a Dutch professor of ancient and medieval philosophy, writes, the theory of providence was a cornerstone of Stoic philosophy, a crucial link between Stoic cosmotheology and Stoic ethics. End quote. Unfortunately, there is no simple way to avoid the doctrine of providential cosmos in Stoicism. As A.A. A. Long argues, any attempt to remove providence from Stoicism leaves the system, quote, broken-backed, end quote. The practice of Stoicism entails assent to providence because the providential cosmos requires our willing participation so we can become what nature intends. As Epictetus points out in Discourses 1-6, Hercules was molded by his challenges. Without the lion, Hydra, boar, and the unjust and brutal men, Hercules' true nature would never have been known. Those trials revealed his greatness. Likewise, our trials mold us and reveal our excellence of character. That is, if we focus on what is up to us and trust the rest to the providential cosmos. When we are faced with the challenges that fate inevitably brings our way, we are wise to keep Epictetus' words of encouragement close at hand. Quote, Come now, haven't you been endowed with faculties that enable you to bear whatever comes about? Haven't you been endowed with greatness of soul, and with courage, and with endurance? If only I have greatness of soul, what reason is left for me to be worried about anything that can come to pass? What can discontent or trouble me, or seem in any way distressing? Shall I fail to apply my capacities to the end for which I have received them, but instead groan and lament about things that come about? Discourses 1.6.28-29 In another passage, Epictetus likens providence to a trainer who prepares us for life's hardship. Quote, It is difficulties that reveal what men amount to. And so, whenever you're struck by a difficulty, remember that God, like a trainer in the gymnasium, has matched you against a tough young opponent. For what purpose, someone asks? So that you may become an Olympic victor. And that is something that can't be achieved without sweat. It seems to me that no one has had a difficulty that gives a better opportunity than the one you now have. If only you're willing to tackle it as an athlete tackles his young adversary. Discourses 1.24.1-2 Likewise, Seneca reminds us that fire proves gold, misery, brave men. On Providence, 5.9 When we consider the Stoic analogy of a dog tied to the cart to explain our relationship to fate, it is easy to focus on the dog being compelled or dragged, rather than on the freedom the dog has to follow willingly. Stoicism teaches us we can choose to follow the cart of fate willingly, with gratitude for every event that occurs. When we take control of our thoughts, desires, and impulses, what is up to us, and leave the rest of providence. Or, we can resist fate and get dragged through life, yelping all the way. The choice is ours, and the choice is critically important to our psychological well-being. Either providence or atoms. Where do we begin with the discipline of desire? We begin where Marcus did, with the present moment, so that nothing may steal into your mind. Meditations 7.54 For the Stoics, time does not exist. It only belongs. Time, for them, is a continually moving frame of reference, which can never really be pinpointed, because as soon as you try, that moment is in the past. Thus the past and the future do not really exist. Yet we frequently live our lives in the past and the future, and by doing so we sacrifice the present the only place where our lives can actually be lived. 
We must stop entertaining the distraction of past regrets and future desires and fears. Only then can our attention, prosuke, be focused on living in accordance with nature, in the present. We must remember that the present is really all that we have. We must practice the spiritual attitude of prosuke and pay attention to every present impression because our wrongful assent to present impressions and their associated value judgments will create the desires and aversions that will disturb us. Remember, impression turns into assent, turns into desire, which turns into an impulse for action. Remember that stoic roadblock from episode 9 and say to the impression, wait a while for me, my impression. Let me see what you are and what you're an impression of. Let me test you out. Discourses 2.20.24. Ask your guiding principle, what is the value judgment connected to that impression? Does that value judgment lead to virtuous action? Is this a preferred indifferent I can pursue with due caution? Is it an impression that will lead to a desire or a dispreferred indifferent or maybe a vice? Say to the impression, wait right there for a minute and allow me to measure you against my own true human nature and the nature of the cosmos, which I seek to be in congruence with. Time is your ally. The impression may pass without harm, or you may find it incompatible with your path as a stoic procopton and withhold your assent. The whole point of challenging our impressions is to avoid the creation of desires and aversions that will come to haunt us in the future. The discipline of assent applied via the dichotomy of control allows us to discern what is up to us and what is not. An understanding of our human nature and cosmic nature provides us with guidance about what is natural to us, what we should desire, what we should not fear. The discipline of desire can then free us from the desires and aversions that are unnatural for us and that cause us pathos. Slowly, we can learn to trust the providential cosmos and wish for and love what actually does happen in each present moment. Then, like Marcus Aurelius, we can experience the psychological consolation which inspired him to write, I presently have what universal nature wills that I should have, and I am doing what my own nature wills that I should do. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you are interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you will find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on the platform where you listen to this podcast. That tells others this podcast is worth listening to and thereby introduces more people to the ancient spiritual practices of the Stoics. If you have feedback or a great podcast idea for me, send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you will continue exploring traditional Stoicism, where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine creative fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.